This week on FX Guide TV. We look at nuke compositing and ocular stereo correction. This and more coming up next. Hello, I'm Angie Dale and welcome to FX Guide TV. Now before we start, I just want to say a huge thanks to those of you who supported FX Guide as part of our NAB Sponsor Drive. You more than doubled what we had hoped to achieve, which is very humbling. So thanks guys, seriously, we really appreciate it. Now just to let you know, we are working on getting out your thank you items and making sure you're all fixed up, read Insider and FX PhD. But email us if you're having any problems at all. Well, this week we have a tutorial on Nuke using footage from the film Tron. Mr X's Aaron Weintraub shows us work done in compositing in Nuke and correcting differences between the stereo cameras with ocular. Hi, my name is Aaron Weintraub uh, from Mr X in Toronto, I'm the visual effects supervisor there. Uh, we worked on a couple, just over a couple hundred shots on Tron Legacy and today I'm going to walk you through um, an actual real live production nuke setup on one of those shots and sort of just show you the problems we encountered and the solutions um, that we came up with using both nuke as well as the ocular tools to fix a lot of the, the stereo problems that, that we encountered on this show. So this is our original plate. This is the background plate and I'm flipping between the left and the right eye here and the thing you can see immediately are the, the horrible polarization artifacts that you're seeing on the floor. Um, this is a result of shooting one camera shooting through a polarized mirror and we need to take care of that in order to have the shot be able to work in stereo. Toronto's a particularly bad show uh, for this. All of the, uh, the surfaces were highly shiny and reflective and there's a lot of low light situations, so really often the only thing that was lighting the scene were the reflections from the surfaces. Uh, the other thing we need to adjust is the vertical disparity, which is kind of the, the height difference throughout various points of the frame between the eyes. The first setup I'm going to show you, um, well first I'll kind of show you, so this is the whole tree here. Uh, this is the comp tree for the entire shot. Um, some of the roto has been pre-rendered out, um, but for the most part all of the uh, all the, the, the main work that's done on the shot is, is in this tree here. And this is really good inside Nuke because what this lets you do is if there is a change or if you need to go back to the top of the tree and change something, you can actually come back up to the top, do your fix, and then re-render the whole thing out without having to process all the intermediate steps. Um, everything just flows through the tree. The other thing that's really nice about Nuke is the way that it works in stereo. So with this left-right option here, Nuke basically treats every node, every input, as having a left view and a right view. And instead of having a full separate tree for the left eye and a full separate tree for the right eye, you can basically, once you've joined your footage together, you can work as though you're working on a single monocomp. Where you need to, you can do, you can split out knobs to do certain things in stereo. Um, or you can, you can completely split the tree to do a separate thing on the left eye and the right eye and then bring it back together to do your work. But for the most part, once your plates are balanced, you can kind of treat the, the comp as a single, as a single monocomp and every, the other eye just comes along for the ride. This setup here shows the first thing we had to deal with. Um, there are a lot of little fixes and basically every shot on Tron, uh, really before we started, needed to have all the suits fixed. So you can see Sam's suit here. Sam had a, a practical suit which was rigged by the, the gaffers in the costume department to have kind of practical stripes and lights on him. 
but as you as you can see um, it doesn't always work and you know because it was you know the, the suit was very skin tight it was very hot he was sweating a lot and this would cause the the lights to short out every once in a while so you'll have takes where you know as he moves around you know individual panels on his on his legs and on his arms and on his toes and, and all over will sort of flicker on and off so kind of the first first pass we took on uh, on every shot was doing the full was doing the suit repair and what that consisted of was you know a lot of simple kind of grabbing pieces of pieces of the suit that worked that were on uh, transforming them over moving them around to sort of recreate the suit and tracking them in as well the other character suits so a lot of the minor characters you know we didn't have the budget to do fully completely glowing suits on them so in that case it was just tape and neon tape was applied to create the the glow lines but as you can imagine you know as people started to move around you would get buckling on the tape the tape would peel off and you know this is the result of the uh, of the painted plate and here are all the paint nodes in here we were working on we worked on Tron in Nuke 5.2 so this is using the the old Nuke paint it's been replaced since by the uh, fantastic new roto paint but uh, this was definitely done done the old way you can see the buckling there that we fixed the buckling up here that we fixed and even on Sam's suit himself so as we turn the lights back on to sort of do his, his full suit repair before we before we even get going then we come down to the color matcher setup so the way uh, oculus color matcher works is it kind of it looks at one eye and it tries to figure out the best sort of color space where that plate lies. Then it looks at the eye that you want to fix, and it tries to come up with a, a global color transformation that takes one eye and converts it and does a correction to put it into the space of the other eye. Now, right away, you know, that sounds like it's going to be a problem because when you look at the difference between the eyes, what you can see is, you know, there are areas of the frame that don't need any correction at all. Like this, the back right here is working quite well. Um, you know, areas up on top of the door are working quite well, and it's really only, you know, the, the horizontal, the more horizontal surfaces that are catching the glancing angles that really have the bad reflections. So the original color matcher, you can see up here in the, in the mode settings, you have three, three settings here. You have basic global matching, complex global matching, and block-based matching. When we started working on Tron, uh, we were using Ocula 2.0, which only had the global matching options. And as you can imagine, uh, you know, from the name global, this isn't really going to work out too well because any sort of global color transformation is going to affect the areas that you don't want to change. Um, so what we, you know, in working with DD, closely with DD and the Foundry, uh, what DD, uh, what the Foundry had come up with, with their new version of Ocula, they kind of created this intermediate uh, Tron version of Ocula before the 2.1 was released. And the big addition to that was the block-based matching. And the way block-based matching works is it sort of slices up the frame into a number of chunks and treats each one differently. So what that allows you to do is instead of affecting the entire frame with one single correction, it'll affect different pieces of the frame differently. And this is a huge step forward in, in being able to solve problems like this. Um, Ocula is always sort of a, a work in progress. It uses uh, the, it kind of builds on the O-Flow technology that they use in their furnace plugins, which is that if you can analyze an image and figure out which pixel in one image maps to kind of the same location of a pixel in the other eye, um, 
there's a lot that you can do with that. And you know, they, they kind of do it temporarily with, with Oflow to say, okay, well this picture in frame, this pixel in frame one is has gone over here in frame two, and that means that I know how to fill in all the in-betweens. So it's a similar technology where Instead of doing it temporally, they do it spatially. And they say, okay, well this pixel on the left eye maps over here to this pixel on the right eye. And as soon as you know that relationship between everything in, the, in one eye to the other eye, there's a lot of interesting, great things you can do with that. So that being said, you can, as you can imagine, there are a lot of settings in, in the plugins here. And Ocula is definitely not a, a magic bullet thing. Um, and what you sort of need to do is we, what we have here is a few different setups where we put our, our plate through three different color matchers. And each one, the color matcher, in order for it to work, it needs a disparity generator. And what the Ocula disparity generator does is, is before you start doing any matching process, it creates a map. And that map is a, it's an alpha mask image that tells Ocula, okay, here's where this pixel is in this eye, and this is where it maps to in the other eye. And the creation of that map also has its own settings. So what we've essentially done here is created three different columns of, of color matchers with three different settings of disparity generation and then using you know, two or three different color matchers to try and knock the colors into the right spot. The output of those three get sort of cobbled together with various key mixes using the roto. So for example, over here, you know, this, this setup worked best for, for these areas. And this setup worked best for this area down here. And the result of that, the result of that comes together down here. Now once we have the uh, once we have the key mixes sort of cobbled together, I'm gonna show you another little trick here, which is that we basically intentionally confuse Ocula. And we instead of uh, working with the left eye and the right eye now, we feed the corrected right eye into the into the left eye of our view and then we bring back the original right eye. So with this joined views node, what we've done is on the, in the, the quote unquote left eye, we have the corrected right eye, and in the right eye, we have the original right eye. And what this you know, is basically saying to Ocula is that now we're, we're telling it that our shot has become as though we shot it with zero interocular, and our left eye and our right eye are spatially exactly the same, and the only difference now is, is, is the color. What this allows us to do is Instead of doing a disparity generation, which, which generates the map that says this pixel over here becomes this pixel over here, we can shuffle black directly into the disparity channels before we go into the color matcher. And we do one final, you know, well final by, I mean, by final I mean another three passes of color matchers on this, but what this does is it unifies all of our kind of cobbled roto together to give it a, a bigger, smoother correction. And it, it allows us to keep the the fine roto to a minimum when we're, we're putting those patches together because we know that we're ultimately going to have one final sweep on the color pass to put it, to put it back. Um, so that gets us most of the way. We're still not there quite yet and I'm going to show you a little problem area here. So when you switch between the eyes here, we look at this text, kind of this, this Tron decal on the floor here. And no matter how small we make the blocks when we're using the color matcher, all of this fine detail is never going to be analyzed properly uh, by the color matcher. So what we do in those situations is we sort of, sort of give up and we use a totally different technique of projection where we will project the, the good eye, which in this case is the left eye, we'll project that onto a card using the left camera, so the camera that it's from the view that we want to use. 
We'll project that onto a card in the scene, and we'll re-photograph that using the right camera. So here's the output of that, of that render here. It's just been the left eye projected onto the card. And when I switch back and forth, so this is the original left eye. This is the projected left eye. And I'm going to show you the right eye. So this is the right eye. And this is the projection of that left eye into the right eye. And you can see it matches up perfectly because our geometry is in the right position. Here we have a little slight drift that we do correct for as you, as, because it does drift a little tiny bit throughout the shot. We have one final color matcher bit over here just to correct for some extra polarization on the control panel. And then a final little trick here, which is just to correct for the grain misalignment that comes from running things through the color matcher. So if you look at what it does to the grain, you can see that the dark areas of the grain are quite lifted. And this is where we want to be with that. The dark's just a little pushed down to the grain. And the way we do that is we take the color matcher version, we blur it a little bit, we take the original version, we blur that a little bit, and then we divide the color match by the original. And what that gives us is, is this color map. It basically is, is the, the factor of the difference in the color between the corrected version and the new version. We multiply that back over the original, which will maintain the original grain. And we have a lovely result. So now this is going between the left and the right eye. You can imagine where we came from. So this is the original right eye. And this is our corrected right eye. So now that that is all done, we are ready to move on to some of the, we'll say, the regular compositing. Um, this setup here is the setup that brings the control panel to life. So we have a lot of roto for each of the little buttons and lights on the control panel. Each little, each button is, you know, has been rotated separately. We send them through a series of grades. We track them because there is a move in the shot. Each slider, each little little panel gets its own treatment, and that's how we bring the control panel to life. One of the other things we have to do in every shot in the entire film is enhance all of the glow lines. So even though Sam had a practical suit using the, the bulbs that were, you know, the glow strips that were on his, his practical costume, the colors weren't exactly right. And obviously they look different in different environments. And to sort of unify the film with a, with a unified palette, we need to replace all the lines. And what that setup consists of is kind of removing the lines, uh, using that mat to apply a different softer glow, and then reapplying it back to, back to the original. As well, all of the minor characters, anyone that has a glow line, needs to have that same setup done for them. So here are the glows for the, the, uh, the guard here. So we add his glows. Next, we add the glows for the one in the back. His buddy over there. Then we have, as the, uh, the guards come out, his glows, and those are all done. You know, here's the setup for the roto for all of, of his glow lines. Most of the time we can, we can grab a decent key, um, 
but a lot of the times we need to go in and clean that up with, uh, with actual roto in both eyes. Then the guard in the back there. And then finally Sam. Yep. So you can see you know, his look has changed quite a bit from the original plate to what the final look of his stripes are. So we render all of our CG in separate passes and this setup here is kind of putting all the different passes together using different mats and the normal passes as they come out to kind of grade and subtly relight things a tiny little bit. And just let this cook and I want to show you uh, a little 2D trick that we did in Nuke to provide some realism to the glass through the cone here. So the, as you can see, the, uh, a piece of the glass here in the cone is slightly transparent. Um, it's, it's, it's a tiny bit tinted, but to really sell the realism, what we're going to need to do is fake some refraction. Now, we could have rendered out an ST map um, from 3D and then applied that to the background, but we tried it first in 2D before we went down that route, and it seemed to work pretty well. And I think gave us much more control because um, it wasn't too complicated. So I'm just going to zoom in on this area here. So what you can see here is kind of the lines of the floor in the background. As they approach the, uh, as they approach the, the side of the glass here, they kind of curve down. Um, and the way we did that was using an eye distort node. I'm going to turn it off here and turn it back on to show just how, uh, just how effective that is in providing the illusion that is an actual real piece of glass. I'm going, to, I'm going to just turn it on and off again. So the thing that really you know, breaks the illusion when it's off is that you know, these lines here continue on to be parallel as they pass through the, this curved glass here. So what we did was we took, the, uh, we took a normal pass of the render. We did a little bit of, of relighting on it just to give us the edge. So we're not actually using the pass in this case as, as a lighting change. What we're doing is we're positioning a light in 3D space to kind of give us the edge that we, that we want to operate on. You know, we, we blur that out and then apply that into the eye distort. And here it is without the, the cone over top of it. And you can see here's how the, the distortion is affecting it. That's a really, you know, kind of neat technique to just provide a little bit more realism onto the cone there. After all the CG is comped, there's some final little paint fixes. Uh, we go into just a camera shake setup, so as the cones drop, there's a little, a little jolt in the camera that we added in. Um, sometimes we have to split out, the, uh, split out the channels and do the shake on each channel separately just to preserve some of the grain that was being lost in the motion blur when we do those fine little, little shakes. And then we get into down here, this is our final vertical disparity setup. And I just want to talk a bit about how Ocula handles vertical disparity. I'm going to switch over to just doing it on the original plate here. It'll go a little, a bit faster. So when you look at the original plate in anaglyph mode, one of the things you can uh, you see is immediately is you can tell that uh, we're a bit misaligned. So you know this dot here corresponds to this dot over here in the other eye, and really we want those to have no vertical difference between them. They should only they should always lie on the same horizontal axis. And again, Anaglyph is a great way to see that kind of stuff. And you can see over on the edges here, you know, we're a bit off. So Ocula has some great tools to, to deal with that. The first thing you want to do is you run it through the, the solver. And what the solver gives you is 
it tries to, it analyzes your footage and tries to give you a map of where, of, of the features that it thinks lie in one eye and where they live in the other eye. And you can go around and it's, it's pretty good right out of the box. You can, you can help it with a lot of the settings here, but you can even go through, you can delete keys that you don't think are working well enough. So if you look at it in, in anaglyph, it's sometimes easier to see. You know, you look at this one here and you're not really sure that that one's going to help. So let's delete that one and take it out of the mix. You can add your own features as well. So if there's something that you see in one eye, let's, let's go back. So I want to add a point over here and I want to tell it, okay, that point maps to this one over here. You know, you can kind of go through. And the more points you give it, the more accurate it's going to be. Once it's solved, you can run the ocular vertical aligner on it. The vertical aligner is, is pretty clever. It has a, a number of methods that you can use to align. And as with, you know, kind of all furnace and ocular tools, you want to kind of just check them all out and use the one that solves your problem the best. Um, if we look at the anaglyph output, I'm going to turn off the solver here. You know, we can already see this is turning it off and this is turning it on and it's, you know, it's doing a pretty good job of, of realigning those. Let's look back down in the corner here to see how it worked over there. So that's off and that's on. So the vertical skew uh, has done a, a pretty decent job of, of realigning our plates. There's a number of other methods and I just, just want to talk briefly and say that all of the methods except for vertical skew can all be represented by a corner pin which means they can also all be represented by a, uh, a 3D transformation of a card. If you were to take the, the uncorrected eye, project that onto a card using the camera, and then do any kind of nodal pan to move it around, all of those transformations can be represented by one or more of these, of these methods here, except for vertical skew. The vertical skew is kind of a special case of a corner pin, where, as you know, when you look at a, a regular corner pin, Let's do a four-point corner pin here. And vertical skew will only move pixels on the y-axis. That's kind of the key point there. And, and the, the, the benefit of that is it doesn't change the interaxial that you shot with. So if you know that your, uh, your depth is working well and you really just want to do some vertical alignment, then vertical skew is the method that you want to use. But if you try and transfer that into a corner pin, you know, even if I only apply vertical motion, you can see that throughout the middle of the frame, there's quite a bit of horizontal going on. So the reason we would want to do it as a corner pin is once we set up our, our vertical alignment using Ocula, having the ability to do the vertical transformation using another tool built into Nuke, such as the corner pin, will allow us, A, we can save licenses when we're rendering, but the, more importantly, is it allows us to you know, more finely tweak the the result of the of the vertical alignment. Uh, vertical, the vertical aligner really tries to find a global match to solve your, your vertical alignment problems throughout the frame, but through you know, various stereo problems such as, as mirror warping or um, other different artifacts that you can get is it might not solve it in exactly all the right places that you want. And if that happens, you, know, you really want the ability to go in and be able to just finely tune it to, to tweak it exactly the way you want. So what we came up with here was a way to kind of apply our own vertical skew without using Ocula and run through that briefly. And what that does 
the way we do it is we start with a, a vertical ramp, kind of goes from black to white. We multiply that out by 1080, which is the vertical resolu resolution of our, of our image. So now we have a ramp that goes from 0 to 1080. If we were to feed that map, that ramp, into an iDistort node, just as is, um, nothing would really happen um, because we're, we're essentially at unity and it's saying that all the pixels from the bottom to the top are where they're supposed to be. However, if we, if we were to corner pin that around and move that ramp around slightly and then apply that as a map into the iDistort, the image would achieve the same result of the warping. iDistort has this great property where when you're choosing the channels to offset your image with, you can choose, you, can, you know, usually depending on the effect you want, you can choose U and V, but here we choose to turn U off. So we're only going to affect the vertical. So when we take our corner pin here, which is similar to the corner pin that you know, solves the vertical skew, apply that through the iDistort, what we get as a result is kind of the same thing that we would get by using Oculus vertical skew but we're doing it just with a corner pin. And now I have the ability here to you know, slightly tweak it around. It's very subtle. I'll go over here. Actually, I'll show you an easier to see an anaglyph. Oops, sorry. All right, so this gives me the ability to really tweak on a very sub-pixel level how my vertical liner is going to work. Um, as well, the filtering that you get from an iDistort is actually, at its current state, a lot better than the filtering that you get out of Oculus vertical liner. So that's another little savings uh, to keep the quality of your images intact. As well, the, the latest version of Ocula 2.2 has this feature here to create a corner pin. So as I said, all of these methods of doing vertical alignment, except for with the exception of vertical skew, can be represented by a corner pin. And I think you know, the, in working closely with the foundry and kind of showing them this setup of how we were doing this, they sort of caught on that this corner pin is actually a, a pretty good, handy idea. So they've added this button in to create corner pin, and when you click that, it basically makes you a corner pin node that does exactly what the vertical liner is doing, and then you can ditch your ocular node. Your script runs, runs a lot quicker, and you can use the corner pin instead of the ocular to do your alignment. Uh, after that, it's really just a, a basic grade to get all our colors matching uh, and continuity with the rest of the film. And that's, that's pretty much it. And thanks for watching. Next week, we move to Europe for FMX, where John and Ian will be covering this leading European show. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash fxguidenews. Well, until next time, I'm Angie Dale. See ya. For more industry news, in-depth features, podcasts and forums, check out fxguide.com. And for visual effects training, check out fxphd.com.